get this in. Ice Cash Color Camp is a high level of conversation. I am your host, Mecca King, and I am glad to have my man Ramon Reyes on here with me. I'm mad Vlad can't be with us, but it's all good. As you know, this is part of the legendary crew called Happy Monkey. And in, 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 in paying homage to my guys over the blog ever podcast, we're going to start this off with a book, 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 book. Shout out to my man Ramon. Ramon, what's good with you, man? What's up, my brother? How you feeling today, man? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good, man. I've been, you know, and I mentioned to you in DM. I've been wanting to speak with you and Vlad for a little while now. I've been very impressed since I've ever, since you actually came on my radar about what y'all were doing. Thank and I'm always wanted to see if we can sit down and chat up. So today's is the best time to do that. Um, we're here, man. We're here. Yes, sir, man. So without further ado, for those who don't know for some reason, please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Ramon Reyes, and I am creator and co-founder of Happy Monkey, a cannabis lifestyle brand. Um, born and raised out of New York City. Um, yeah, uh, we started uh, Legacy. And if you don't know what Legacy means, you know, we was hustling. We was outside for a very long time. You know, we had a whole life before Happy Monkey. And then, you know, we created Happy Monkey as an event lifestyle company first, right? Because we were doing speakeasies. We were doing the lounge version of what uh, weed speakeasy would look like. And then we turned it into, you know, a legit brand where we went into licensing and stuff like that. That's what's up, man. All right, so how did you and Vlad find each other? Like, when did, when did y'all connect? Right, so me and Vlad are like, you know, we're buddies. We, we've we been in the same circles since we've been in high school, right? So since teenage years, since the 90s, we've been we've always had mutual friends and always had friendships. Um, and as an adult, we kind of like started meshing because we was outside, right? So we was like, you know, we were kind of like last of the Mohicans outside in our era. And we kind of like bonded after that. That's what's up, man. I'm pretty sure y'all had a shared love the bud, too. Absolutely. That was it. That was it right there, man. <laughs> so when was the first time that you actually had a chance to consume yourself? Like, when, when did cannabis come into your life? Well, cannabis, um, like many New Yorkers like me, came into my life when I was a teenager. I was anywhere between, you know, 13, 14 years old, maybe a little younger. Um, through really through Jamaican culture, right? The Jamaicans were the first to actually be selling weed in my hood, right? So those were the first guys that I went and actually went and copped a bag and, you know, we crushed it and rolled it and smoked it. So I was about 13, um, group of four or five of my friends, and, you know, we smoked it. Wait, now, was this the era, was, was it Sour Diesel or was it Piff? Like, do you know? So this, is before, so this is before that, right? This is like, you know, we ain't got money for Piff yet, right? This is 96, right? This is 1996. You know, if you got money for Piff, you was a drug dealer outside already. You know what I'm saying? Like, you was you was an adult working person already, right? So at 13 years old, you know, we scounging up $5 to go get, you know, some uh, Jamaican weed from right up the block, right? So what's happening in that era, in between that time, you know, the haze is coming into my neighborhood, you know, and we're talking Harlem, Washington Heights. You know, we didn't have all the strains that everybody else had, you know, I guess downtown, you know what I mean? We didn't live that life. We had whatever the Jamaicans had, then, you know, Hydro, Hayes, and then Sour came way after that. Man, I miss Hydro, bro. I remember when Hydro first. <laughs> like, you felt like you were special if you had that little container that had the dro in it, man. Like, it was a different, different era. So, um, so between that time, though, 
since you and Vlad came together, you like you mentioned, Happy Monkey came about. You know, it started off on the legacy side. Then y'all started breaking into doing small events. Um, talk to us about the event part of that game because we talked about doing events way before. Like now, pop ups are are, are are a thing. You know, so hey, like way it's before pop ups was a thing. Absolutely right. So the one thing, like I said, we had a life before Happy Monkey, right? So I've traveled the world. I've gone to places, you know, California, Miami, Amsterdam. Jamaica, been everywhere, right? So we take all these experiences and my final experience was going to Amsterdam and seeing how they run the cafes over there. So when I seen the, you know, the community, kind of like the community, even though everyone that I've met, it was a lot of people from all over the world, but I seen how in that moment it became kind of like a bonding community moment for me, right? So I felt like this is something that we need back in New York City. So instead of a, and at the time, the only type of weed parties events that was going on at the time was sessions, right? So if people are not familiar with sessions, this is kind of like a flea market style of weed, right? So this is, was just something that I wanted to do because again, I had a lifestyle already. So I was like, I'm not trying to go into a session. I'm trying to go in some somewhere where I could just sit down and, you know, pick from, pick from a very nice menu of things and, you know, hang out with maybe a date or maybe a friend or maybe a colleague or whatever the case may be, right? So this was something, this is some sort of vibe that I wanted to see and bring in New York City. And I knew my friends had the resources already. Vlad had the resources. We had the lounge. We had the studio. So we just turned it into a lounge, man. And it simply gave people a place to do both, to feel California and to feel Amsterdam. It kind of gave them both. And in a New York minute, you know? That's dope, man. <laughs> you know, and people needed that kind of moment. You know, like you mentioned, before it was sessions or we we huddled up behind behind buildings trying to smoke out together. We yeah. needed, people needed a spot like that. So it was dope that y'all was able to curate that kind of moment for New Yorkers. And on the flip side, right, on the legal side, which we didn't know existed in 2017, right? Because we was, again, we was legacy side. We didn't know these, these things existed. So like now the conferences and all these things we started to attend, um, there weren't people that looked like me and you there, right? So we were kind of like the guys who stood out and we were able to kind of like facilitate after parties for these things now, right? So now we're, you know, now we're we're tipping into now the legal world and we bring in our world with the legacy world, right? It's why we always, we always like to coin, we always like to say that we do bridge the gap between corporate and culture because that's what happened to us organically, right? It wasn't something that we made up. This is something that just happened. Yeah. You know, and I know also between that time, well, especially around 2017, as we started to move forward, you also launched the podcast where you all started actually taking it to the media route and starting to interviewing some of these people and getting getting into their heads and getting into the minds of what's going on in the weed culture. Uh, what was it like launching the podcast? And was that kind of a, a difficult transition for you guys? Like, were y'all used to sitting in front of the podcast? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. For us, it was real different, right? Because now we're putting ourselves out there, right? It kind of yeah. took us a moment. It took us a year. Right. It took us to like 2018 to kind of figure out not even first. We started with our friend, International P. He was already like some sort of like uh, entertainer. He hosted rap battles called Fight Club and all these things. And when he saw the group of people that we were bringing in, we were bringing in celebrities, doctors, hood dudes, everybody. Right. He was like, yo, these people, you got to harness it some way. Let's start interviewing them. Right. I was like, well, I'm not doing that. Vlad was like, well, I'm not doing this. So he's he took it on, right? And then once Vlad started doing more speaking engagements, then we started putting ourselves a little bit out there. We was like, well, you know what? Let's start interviewing these folks, right? Because they're willing to sit down and talk to us. 
let's let's just let's just go ahead and like like let's take let's take the moment on and let's let's record the moment for people to see later. Yeah. Now, was there a fear about that when you first started? Because again, this is the Very first much so. I was out there like that. Very much so. If you if you catch us in the beginning, you'll see us kind of holding back with our stories, right? We see us kind of holding back, you know, um, when we're talking to each other and we're talking about each other, right? We bring on guests and we let guests go ahead and go off on the platform, right? But when it comes to us, we kind of like fell back a little bit. We didn't know how far we could take it and what we could talk about or what we shouldn't talk about. Um, it was some sort of like, you know, we still got to preserve ourselves. You know, we don't want to get in trouble or nothing like that. But we kind of like, I felt like, and we felt like we've taken enough risks in our lives that this is like the least minimum now. It's like, yeah. fuck it. Yeah, understandable. You know, I, I went through the same thing when we first started Cash Color Cannabis because people was like, well, how how are you going to do this? You know, it's not a legal market. And I'm like, well, high times been around since shit. I've been born in 78. They've been around longer than I've been on earth. And they don't have the All same. Right. We shouldn't have to have the same fear about talking about this plan. We having a conversation. It's not like we exactly. selling it. Exactly. So that's just, that's kind of like the approach we took. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope, man. So let's get into this New York scene. You know, I'm a native Bostonian, so I've been I've been familiar with New York for a long time. I remember the first time I went to New York to get weed. I was hanging with my homegirl went to who was at NYU. We had a delivery service then. We talking about early 2000s. It was a guy yeah. named Chicken pulled up on us on a bike. Like I was blown away. Like, I was like, New York's a different place. But, you know, we got a lot of legacy people there who are making huge names for themselves. Shout out to Gumbo. Shout out to my man Branson. Um, mm -hmm. Speak to us about watching New York go from the place where it was just legacy, le legacy that was just that was like like Hollywood legacy to where you are now able to actually make money on this. Well, first, you know, as a consumer, I love the evolution of what happened with weed. Right. Because I love weed. I love to smoke weed. I like that now when I go to the dealer, right? I don't, it's not just sour and haze. Yeah. Now this person has a menu of shit. Like, yo, what you want, bro? You know what I mean? You got 12 different strains, four different edibles. You know, we, all these things wasn't available to us when we were younger, right? So I, first of all, I just want, I love the fact that now you can kind of just go there, right? Um, The fact that I had the opportunity and we had the opportunity to harness those moments through speakeasy lifestyle podcasts and all these things and go after licensing. I'm grateful for it, right? These things were, these things weren't even a picture or a thought 10 years ago. So for me to be able to kind of like go from that to this, I'm grateful for, it. I think the more, success we're able to have on this path it becomes more available and more possible for other people right so we're hoping to have and to take on all the headaches right so other people don't have to yeah, and you are taking on a lot of headaches, and there's still some headaches, and there's still some wrinkles that need to be um, ironed out in this in the system. I remember speaking to Chris Alexander about that last year. You really got to figure out a way to integrate the legacy market into the recreational market. I mean, I get the crackdowns on the illegal spots, but yeah. at some point, you got to figure out how to get these people uh, situated into this new market. Absolutely. Well, first, uh, I'll bring I'll, I like to bring everybody back to this. The legacy market has been around forever. That's something that's been around forever. The legal market has not. The legal market is a baby, especially in New York. It's 
two years old. Now everybody's going to figure it out. Nobody knows how to take care of your, the, the baby at two, right? At two, your baby is at the terrible twos. They don't, you don't know what's bothering them. You don't know if they're hungry. You don't know if they just took a shit. You don't know what, you know, it's so, it's so much going on at two, right? So I want people to understand that this is a very young game. And not even the government knows how to play it yet, right? We don't know how to play it yet, right? So we're all trying to figure it out together. What we all do know is that the right thing is to let these le to let legacies in because these are the people with the most experience, right? Because we we've been in it for a very long time. You know, me myself, we've been in it for a very long time. So yeah, we do need some way somehow to incorporate legacy with regulators, with processors, with uh cultivators with you know with, with all the people who's in the legal market now right uh, you know accountants investors all these people need to get with legacies because legacy know how to sell right and it all depends what part of legacy right because people just say legacy and think oh well he does everything well no right in new york most legacy folks are people who distribute people who sell you know you're a retailer most people in new york city don't grow weed there were most of them with retailers so it all depends what part of legacy you in right for us, we're retailers. We're gonna. We want to open up stores. This is what this is what we're working with, right? Um, in California, maybe different, right? In California, maybe you know, you grew up. So the two differences between I say between East Coast and West Coast a little bit is that growing up as a kid, one of your friends sold weed, right? In California, growing up as a kid, one of your friends grew weed. Exactly. So. So it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have this thing, right, where there's a difference between the production and people who sell weed. So, again, it all depends on what part of legacy you in now and start taking interest in that part legally, right? Start taking an interest in, if you're a retailer, start taking an interest in real estate, right? Start taking an in interest in whatever your background is. Yeah, this is definitely time to educate yourself if you're in the legacy market. But it's also something I feel like the states need to do, especially when we come to social equity, because we've always had the conversation that, it, you know, a drug dealer could run a Fortune 500 company. That may or may not be true. Like, just because you know how to do this doesn't exactly. mean exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. not every drug dealer was successful. Yeah, not every, some of them were <laughs> successful because you just had a market that needed this and you had it. You know what I'm saying? Right. That doesn't mean you was right. a business person. We really need to sit down and learn the business. And I feel like that's something that we need to see more states do is institute more programs that actually teach people about being in business, finances, how to run taxes, all kinds of things you yep. didn't have to worry about on the streets. Yep, yep, yep. But also what I what I also say is I don't blame one party without blaming the other. So now we also have to take interest in letting the state know, yo, these are the things we need. These are the things that I want to know, right? Even though for us, we had to learn the hard way. We had to learn that you do need lawyers. You do need accountants. You do need, you know, you need to speak to these people, whether you whether you like it or not. You're going into the legal world, and these are the people who run the legal world in different aspects that you're trying to get into, right? So if you don't at least take some sort of interest in that, then hey. And I always, and the legal game for me has two parts. And I say, I say it in this. I say that legacy guys that are 35 and over definitely want to get into the legal world the younger guys not so much and i and i would say that because i can remember at 21 years old if i'm making money i'm taking care of my family 
I'm driving. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do as as a 21-year-old in the legacy market. You can't convince me to get into the legal world. There's nothing you can tell me. But at 35, I done been through a lot. Up, down, left, right. It's been a roller coaster ride. Um, yeah, I'm looking for ways to get into the legal world because you know you you get kind of tired of living that young man's game, and you kind of know that you know there, there has to be the next step, and this is the only next step, right? Um, so that's really what it is. You know, I don't suggest that that this is for everyone, you know, but I definitely think this is more of a grown man's game than a young man's game. Yeah, man. How optimistic are you about seeing New York turn into the mega place that it can turn into as far as the cannabis marketplace? First of all, I'm super biased. I'm always going to say that New York is going to be the best at everything all the time, right? Just, you know what I mean? Like, I don't watch sports. I'm still a Knicks fan. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, just to, just to, just to give you how biased I am. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm New York to the death of me, right? But New York... Because we have access to the world. We have access to money from people all over the world, media from people all over the world, culture from all over the world. Um, it can become a really big thing because we affect other countries and cities from all over the world. You know, us that we're from the Dominican Republic, you know, my parents are from the Dominican Republic. I'm first generation American. What happens is as soon as it went legal here in New York, people heard about it in the Dominican Republic. And this is a place where if they find you with a joint and you ain't got no money to kind of take care of the situation, you might be doing months in jail for a joint, right? But the fact is, is that now they're hearing about it, right? People are, oh shit, it's legal in New York. Oh shit, we can start considering these things. You know, we're catching a lot of people come here from New York with weed. You know, I, I guess it seems like it's becoming natural, right? So I think we have a lot of influence. I think once it becomes successful here, the rest of the world will follow. I agree. I agree. I think that New York is going to definitely be a leader in this marketplace in a very short amount of time. But it's like you say, it's, it's about a whole lot of things falling into place. And it looks like at least the, the, the groundwork is being done with brothers like yourself and Vlad and so many other people making, the, making these footprints out here. Mm hmm. So what do you want to be, what do you feel like you'll be most, you're most proud of when it comes to the, the success of Happy Monkey? Well, <laughs> coming, um, I guess the most proud, not the most, but I guess some of the moments were, you know, coming up with an idea and a brand out of thought and emotion and making it go through as far as like having events, right? And then the crossover, right? Because it was one thing pre-pandemic, then another thing after the pandemic, right? You know, before it was, you know, people didn't want to be around each other. We're talking about we had the lounge, everybody's lovey-dovey, huggy, smoking. Now we got pandemic, nobody's around each other. And now after pandemic, now it's legal. Now we have to figure out how does Happy Monkey have events legally we not, you know we not we can't have a sesh we can't have a party at the lounge with the dispensary in the back how do we do this legal i think that moment for us is what i'm most proud of having to be able to kind of like switch it up change it up a little bit you know um yeah we're always a little bit on the edge but now we're compliant right we were able to have we were able to collab with the van gogh experience and have 
you know, and have a an event like that where people came and still enjoyed cannabis like it was just a part of their night. I think being able to pull things like that off is what makes me proud, right? Um, being able to have establishments like that, trust us, is what I'm most proud of, right? Because, you know, we all been saying it. Weed is nothing. Weed is nothing. But, you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? Trust us. Trust the cannabis community. Let us in so you can see what we're going to do, right? We're, we're a nonviolent group. We're a not sloppy group. You know, we're not throwing drinks and going crazy, you know what I mean? So I being able to pull these events off to show the world how cannabis can be just normal is what I'm most proud of. Bro, well, I'm proud of y'all. I think y'all made huge strides. I remember the Van Gogh experience. I was actually personally um, jealous in my heart. I was like, damn, I wish I could do that in Atlanta, man. But, you know, we ain't there yet. But I thought that was dope as hell, man. So I'm definitely proud of what y'all doing. And I wish y'all nothing but success. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. No doubt. And that's Cash Color Campus, a high level of conversation.